Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello, we're George and James and we're getting pretentious with swans to be kind. How's your week been, James? It's good, 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 good week. Um, I was supposed to be in Scotland this week. Oh yes, you were, weren't you? Yeah, but um, turned out so <laughs> Storm Kara hit Kiara, Kira, Storm Kira. I don't know. whatever it's called. A storm hit the UK, and uh, I I left for Gat. So I was supposed to go to Scotland to see my friend Jack. Um, and uh, when I left the flat, so I knew it was, there was potentially a problem because of the storms. Yeah. He was going to, you know. And when did I left not, the flat... Did my, you not look at your flights beforehand? When I left the flat, my flight was 10 minutes oh, okay. delayed. Okay. And I was like, I can deal with 10 minutes delayed. That's all right. Um, That's just normal national rail. And the trains actually were fine. I thought the trains would be the difficult part. I thought getting to Gatwick is going to be the problem. The planes, they're still going to be flying. Like, that's not going to be an issue. As I get off the train from to Gatwick, um, I'd put my phone on aeroplane mode on the train because um, my phone depletes battery insanely quickly. So I put my airplane... Yeah. So I put my battery... I put my phone on aeroplane mode to save my battery on the train because I was watching... Netflix um, and I got off the train turned my airplane mode off and I had a text from Jack and it was a screenshot of my flight information <laughs> and he and he just put if you want to rearrange I understand <laughs> and the flight was now scheduled for um, given so my flight was supposed to be at 12.55 yeah my flight was now scheduled for quarter past five in the afternoon. Oh, um, so, five hours. Yeah, so five hours. So then I joined this. So I was like, I called him up and I was like, right. I was like, I don't really want to wait for seven hours at the airport. Fair. And he was like, no, that seems silly to get a one hour flight from a seven hour wait. Yeah. It seems silly. And mainly I was like going up for that day and then spending a few days afterwards. But like, we'd booked to go well we were going to go see the ice hockey and stuff so like the purpose of me going was really that Sunday and I got screwed so it was like well I'm going to miss a whole day so I said look I'll go and speak to EasyJet and see (laughs) if I can like move my flights for free because they've caused a delay get in this queue wait in this queue for an hour Uh, right and while I'm doing that I'm also on the phone to EasyJet because I thought if I get through quicker on the phone oh, I'll jump out of this idea. queue yeah um, but I'm on hold and this I never never get through right even to the of course so and the hold music they're playing is um, Ed Sheeran just on repeat <laughs> fucking like Shape of You just on repeat oh, on hold dum 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 just yeah um, very loopable and it was on it was in, it, like it, I had it in my headphones as well so I, I took my headphones off and put them around my neck because I was like, I'm not listening to this the whole time. But then I was conscious that I was also blaring out Shape of You on loop to everyone around me. And I was like, <laughs> I don't want people to think that that's just what I'm listening to all the time. Like just on loop. Yeah. It's one thing to be listening to it. That's okay. Just on loop. But on loop, yeah. Oh, it was that and Galway Girl. Oh. Don't like that song. Galway, no, Galway Girl. Shape of You is a good tune. It is a good tune. Galway Girl is just, no. Um get to the queue it gets to the front of the queue and they're like yeah so is your flight cancelled and I'm like no it's, but it's delayed by like five hours and I just don't I'm not getting I'm not going to go so I just want to rearrange and they were like oh no if you're in this queue this queue's for only for people whose flights are cancelled <laughs> and I'm like but it's a customer service queue it's yeah. just a customer service queue and they're like yeah you know, you're in the wrong queue and I'm like well where does it say that what queue like, should I be in? And they're like, it doesn't. I was like, what queue should I be in? They're like, well, 
you shouldn't be in this queue. So they wouldn't answer me. They just wanted me to get out of the fucking queue, right? <laughs> so then I find this other person and they're like, um, yeah, what you're going to need to do is go through security. We can only rearrange your flight um, two hours, but you can only rearrange your flight two hours before time. It's supposed to take off, right? Oh. And I, I wasn't, I was past that point now. Because yeah. it was like an hour to when it was supposed to go. But that would have been me paying to, to rebook it. But at that point, I was like, I don't care if it's 20 quid. I'll just move it, right? I'll yeah. just pay the 20 quid and I just want you to move it so I can go home. And they were like, no, we're not going to do that because it's, it's past two hours before time that you can rearrange it. So I was like, well, that's bollocks. And then they were like, so if you want to be able to rearrange it, they said you have to go through security wait the air side and if if you are delayed by three hours or more once you get to three hours you have the right then to say i don't want to do this anymore and go home and re and they'll rebook your flight or cancel it for you and i was like i'm not going over there to wait three hours and they were like well it may arrive before then i'm like but it's not going to it's just not let's be honest no no flight has ever done don't bullshit me like this (laughs) and then i found another person and they told me the same thing and then i went i have the app the easyjet app yeah and they were like right and i went can i do what you're asking me to do can i just rearrange it on the app once it gets past three hours yeah. And they went, yeah. Why are you telling me to go to the... And I, so I don't need oh. to... I'm like, so I don't need to wait airside then, do I? And they were like, no. no. And I was like, cool, I'm going home. Yeah. So I called Jack and said, I'm not going. Yeah. And then when I got home, it had been delayed to seven o'clock. Oh, so you're coming up to nine hours in the airport if you're yeah. actually there and then when it got to but then this option never appeared on my phone to rearrange like at all through the whole day so I was like fuck this like what's going on yeah but then at about half past seven the flight got cancelled so then I could get a full refund so it was all yeah. fine in the end but imagine if you'd have waited that whole time and then it get cancelled nine hours and then it got cancelled somebody did Somebody, yeah, there would have been people who were trying to get home or whatever. Because imagine if you were trying to get home, right? It was all right for me because you were, I was just like, I was... You were at home. Yeah, I could already. just go home from Gatwick, right? Yeah. There were so many people there. It was it was chaos. I, it was just like every flight had been cancelled on BA and EasyJet. Oh. It was just like, it was chaos. Yeah. So that was my Sunday. You see, I had a gig in Bristol... And me, the drummer, and my partner, we all got the coach down with the singer. And our singer decided she wanted to go straight back to Suffolk from Bristol. The best and quickest way to do that, obviously, is a train. We decided we'd just get the coach back an hour earlier. One, because it's cheaper. And two, it's just better, in my opinion. Like, cheap coach takes you three hours. And in all fairness, it did take an extra 20 minutes with the storm. But Mm. our singer... Your train would have been cancelled. Her train, she managed to get to some random town just outside Reading. And that took three hours. Yeah. And then she was stuck in this little town. She then got on another train that took nearly an hour to get her to Reading. Should have taken about 20 minutes. They then stopped at Reading and said that the train had to stop because the rest of the lines were just screwed. Uh, So she had to wait at Reading for like another hour, waiting for another train to then get her to Waterloo. (laughs) The train to Waterloo then took something like two hours. In total, it took her nearly seven hours to get to London. Oh, at which point she was like, I'm, can I come and stay at yours? Yeah. So we got home in three hours and about 20 minutes at half ten. And she took nearly seven hours on a train just oh. to get to ours. So she left at half eleven and got to ours at nearly six. You think, oh, well, seven and a half hours late when other trains were cancelled. It's like, well, no, in reality, she was like a day and a half late. Yeah, I mean, I don't mind calling out Great Western Railway on this podcast because they are fucking terrible. 
But, in all fairness, they did keep going. They kept going. But uh, what I was going to say is Great Western Railway is bad enough at the best of times. Yeah. Like, I don't think I've ever gotten a train home to Bristol... Without some sort of issue. Without some sort of delay or something. There's always something. So the trains on that day would have just been... But I think there was a slight hope that for it might have worked, but it just didn't. And that... Yeah. Is travel. That sums up public travel in Britain. Yeah. So anyway... Swans. Swans. To after, be kind. After updating you on my... On the weather travels. Yeah. I mean, talking about long journeys, swans... It's a long journey. It's a, it's a two-hour... I want to say two hours and 14 minutes, but I might be wrong. I'm going to check that, though. It's long. I don't think I've listened to an album as long as Swans. It's... What other two-hour-plus albums are there? Oh, Swans. I mean, there are probably loads, but... Yeah, any, any Swans record. Um, so Sorry. I'd never listened to Swans before. Um, before this. Oh, two hours and one minute. Two hours and one minute. Oh, that's reasonable. Uh, that's still nearly half the length of uh, the Irishman, so... True. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's quite common for Swans to do two-hour long albums, but uh, can you have you have you found any I more? I found a list of... Uh, Over two-hour long albums. Yeah, serums that are longer than one album. Um, but I don't recognise any of them. I mean, you said Outcast. There's a Chris Rear album that is 10 hours, 19 minutes long. Jesus Christ. But I feel like that must be like a collection, surely. Uh, Max Richter's Sleep, eight hours. I mean, if you listen to most Nickelback albums, it feels like ten hours. <laughs> um, a lot of these are classical-based, so that doesn't really uh, count. They're movements. Yeah, they're there's lots albums. of, like, random Japanese jazz. Interesting. Oh, Philip Glass. Philip Glass. But again, that's kind of classical, right? Yeah. But either way... Tom Waits. Oh, but half, uh, half compilation, half studio. So, it, Flaming Lips have a... Ah, oh, Flaming Lips. Three they're hours, a, one minute. They're a band project. But yeah, two-hour album. It's quite hard to... I think this would be... It's definitely the most challenging review slash listen we've had so far and probably will be for a while I have no idea where to start to be honest it's, it's, there's so much to it I think the problem is as well with a two hour record who has two hours in their day to just focus on a record and and, I, and it's it's hard to remember which uh, which tracks do what in a way? Well, in a way, when you've because, got a half hour piece of music, but it's not even like it's two hours of a load of songs. It is two hours of music. Mm. It is still a very cohesive album that is glued together very well. So the song um, "Bring the Sun" slash the overture. I don't know how to say it a bit before it. Tuisson? Tuisson Le Overture. Yeah. That's a 30-minute track. That feels like it has, like, three or four tracks in it. Or at least three. I kind of see it as your A section, your B section, your C section. But then also screenshot all the way through to A Little God in My Hands, that feels like that could be one song in the same way that Bring the Sun is one song. Mm. So it's... It's interesting how they've chopped them up. Do you think the length of this uh, record... Hinders it? Hinders the enjoyment? Uh, well, uh, well... Oh, is that not what you were going to say? No. If I jumped the gun. Um, well, I think you can ask that. But I think you can also ask, do you think that this, the length of this record 
um, is the reason that it's so like so revered in the alternative prog community. It's like they've done a two-hour record, but they've done two-hour records before. True. So and they've done longer. They've I think their longest is nearly two and a half hours. It's too long. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it isn't it isn't because I put. I've put the album... I've listened to it all the way through No Breaks twice. Mm. And once you get into it, by the time you get to the kind of hour and a half point, you are in. It is hypnotic. You are in the world. And that is... I've not not had that same feeling with many albums. I think it's hypnotic in a very sort of challenging way i think that there's a lot of um sections where they will just repeat the same riff yeah for what feels like if it was on any other record or too long would be way too long like it's obnoxiously long but it's like that comedy where when you repeat the same thing over and over again it comes around full circle where you go from Funny. Enjoy, yeah, yeah, funny to... Not funny. To awkward, to funny. Yeah. And you can do that as many times as you want. I mean, the whole month... Is it Monty Python? Is it Life for Brian with the guy running over the hill? And it just goes on and on. Mm. And it stops being funny and then it's funny again. Army Stewart Lee is a classic for that. Yeah. This is what this album does, but for more intense internal thinking... I don't think you can... I don't think anyone, even if you don't like prog music in the slightest, I don't think you could listen to this album two hours straight without questioning your life. <laughs> like, well, I think the very act of listening to a two-hour prog record, you should be questioning your life. <laughs> yeah, it does, but it is like, I actually quite enjoy once finishing the two hours, it's like, I've changed a little bit. It changes you. Like, it is quite the statement. It it felt very similar to how I felt watching 12 Years a Slave. Like, I felt changed. It's not very often that... I don't know whether it's just because in your brain it's like, you just did that for two hours. You've never focused on anything for two hours straight. <laughs> how have you done this? But it is definitely... It's a in a way, a spiritual experience to a certain extent, especially with this album, with how cohesive it all glues together. Yeah, I think it... Um, I think for me, it's... It, I don't know if it's... Like you say, it's sort of like a... It makes you think about things. If, if, actually, for me, it sort of did the opposite in the way mm. that... Um, it, it, it almost feels like you're put in some sort of trance. Yeah. And you're just sort of being carried along on this wave of hypnotic sort of um, repetitive riffs a lot of the time. And then you feel like you're in this trance and, you've, and then, and then it, it hits you with something else and it sort of shakes you a little bit. Um, I do definitely... I do definitely think I would uh, worry about someone's mental state if they listen to this on their own in the dark because because it, it oh that's the best way to listen to yeah this. I know but I would worry about I think you need to then take that person who has just listened to that for two <laughs> hours in the dark and take them outside and make sure they're okay because it's it's a bit like you know when um, I mean I don't think it's a great example of this because um, I'm not entirely convinced that I particularly love the film as much as everyone else seems to. But when you saw the, have you seen the Joker yet? No. Okay. I've I've been meaning to. But you see the Joker and it is. Um, I've heard it's quite harrowing. It's it, intense. Yeah. I think that's more what it is. It's intense. For like two hours straight, it's just intense. Or 
Um, Dunkirk. Do you see Dunkirk? It's different intensity. It's on my list. Okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it's sort of like it's the intensity. I imagine is, 1917 is another one that will fit into it as well. Yeah, the intensity is kept up for a good two hours straight. Yeah. And especially if you see something like that in the cinema, you're sat in a dark room. Um, and I know there are other people in the cinema, but you sort of feel oh, isolated on your yeah. own. You you're get not into paying your own, attention to the other people. You get into your own headspace and you leave the cinema and it takes you a while to sort of adjust to the normal Reality. world. <laughs> like, and it, yeah. that's a bit... That is how like it feels, finishing Listening this to this album all the way through in one go because you just feel it is a little slightly bit, broken it's a little bit it. like Uncut Gems the new film with um, Adam Sandler Adam Sandler which you put Adam Sandler and impressively good film next to each other didn't think that would happen but but that who is a film who would have thought Adam Sandler can actually act yeah who would have thought it but um, yeah Uncut Gems it's just a barrage on every sense that you digest a film with. It's funny, actually, that the the, uh, the bit in the song that you just talked about, mm. um, which, remind me of the name, George... Bring the Sun. Bring the Sun. There's a moment in that where the, sort of the music falls away and there's these, like... The horse sounds. There's these sounds mm. of horses and there's this great sound design. And it for some reason I don't know if it was the horses or what it was made me think of The King that I just watched on Netflix yeah and I showed you that battle that, that battle really scene. intense battle scene yeah I need to go and watch which that which is just film like now. brutal and just sort of breathtakingly like but brutal, brutal not in the way that like a saw film is like no no, no. like brutal and just a like a man actually drowning someone in mud yeah in the midst it, of battle it, it it's, it's very got, real. It's got a a heavy physicality to it. The sound design really helps with that. In that and I think well. there's a heavy physicality to some of those moments in the Swans record where it is blasting the same riff at you. In all fairness, actually, comparing the the flow and the intensity of this album to some of the the writing styles of Shakespeare in Henry V and stuff. Mm. It does have a close connection. It's got that very emotive, dragging, quite long, like really dragging out a story, mm. but for good intent and good reason. Like it is a full journey and almost the journey is part of the the story. The fact that it's so long and so drawn out and sections are, they feel like they're going on indefinitely. We talked about how it would be interesting to hear Swans do a soundtrack yes. for a film and what kind of film. Because I think, for me, who, uh, I think for me, like, film is always going to be the thing that I... When I listen to music, I often think visually, right? Yeah. Um, and I think film is something I'm always going to connect to as a reference point. Mm-hmm. And for me, probably more than any of the records we listened to so far in this series, Kiwanuka, I think, quite cinematic. But yeah. Like, but, um, and White Lies are certainly cinematic at points. Um, but this feels more like I'm listening to a soundtrack. Yeah, definitely. Um, than I'm listening to uh, an album because it's not really a collection of songs. It's more of a collection of pieces. Yeah, it is almost quite classical in that sense, mm. which is interesting when you were looking at other albums over two hours, a lot of them were classical. Yeah. Or certainly like jazz, experimental. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it'd be interesting to know, actually talk to Swans about what, the imagery is of a lot of these songs because it definitely I just I don't think you could write a song with that much repetition without a very strong intent what's interesting though is I think Swans uh, from what I can see from from all their sort of 
artwork and from the the clips of them live that I've seen, they're not yeah. a visual band like at all. No, but they um, in a way they don't need to be. I suppose the music is doing that for you. It's like when you go watch Hans Zimmer perform his stuff live. Mm. He doesn't have the films playing in the background. No. His music is what paints the image into your mind. But it would work so well. It would work so well. I would love to see Swans actually playing along to a film. So, welcome back. It's been uh, nearly two, nearly three weeks since we actually started this episode. Usually we record them all in one go. Yeah. Um, but we had to stop halfway through last time. Um, it's giving us some reflections. Yeah. Right? I feel like Swans is an album that definitely, uh, your thoughts evolve on it over time. It's, it's different every listen. I think because it's so dense. Mm. And I actually haven't listened to it since no. uh, since we were recording last time. Um, I listened to the one song, the 30-minute long song, because I do actually really like that song. With the horses. With the horses, yeah. yeah. Um, it's interesting because I feel like my thoughts have evolved on it. And... Maybe I almost should have listened to it again before we started again today because I'm al- I'm almost starting to sort of resent. You've almost got into your own head about it. Yeah. Without actually giving yourself the context again. Yeah, I I almost need to find like the perspective on it again. I need to listen to it to sort of ground myself again because I've almost bec- come to resent the album a little bit because because of its length and because of its like density I'm almost now starting to think like is it uh, is it is it sort of um, is it self-indulgent which is something yeah. I was wrestling with before but I'm sort of leaning more towards yeah it's a bit self-indulgent I think what I I find it difficult because I did enjoy the album when I did listen to it all the way through but it was just so it was a lot of work. Yes. It's, and although it's, it's, I am someone that enjoys working towards enjoyment for an album, yeah, for whatever reason, this just felt like maybe a little bit too much of a push. It did pay off, but would I do it again? I think that's the thing. I think it's almost, uh, you know, because we, we talked earlier, we talked earlier in this podcast um, about um, films and we talked about uh, Joker and Dunkirk, which I understand you haven't seen yeah. yet. But um, they are two films that I saw one. There's certain films that you go and watch and you see once and you go, I don't need to see, see that, that again, again now. And I, and I appreciate I appreciate the film and I think it's a good film. I can even like the film. Yeah, this album kind of reminds me of the film Prisoners a bit in that way. It was a film one of my favourite films I've seen in the cinema although at one point it did almost make me want to leave just because of how disturbing it was right okay and I've always wanted to watch it again since but I haven't hmm but I know that if I watched it again I would love it but I also I'm not ready to put myself through it again if that makes sense like yeah it was a really good film, really enjoyable, but also quite a toll on my... Yeah, and that's similar self. to Joker and Dunkirk in that sort of... They are so sort of tense and intense and just dark that, you, yeah, they take a toll on you. You feel sort of beaten up at the end of it. Yeah, but, um, but the fact that it manages to beat you up means that you love it you think it's great but also it's not that often that you think yeah I really just want to get beaten up by this music or film yeah it's it's I I suppose I suppose especially with those films it's done the job that it's sort of set out to do it's supposed Mm. to to hit you around the head and you're supposed to feel beaten up when you leave the cinema and 
you know, mm. you, you can look at those films and go, okay, it was in, I can appreciate what they've done there. It's a bit like 12 Years a Slave. Love yeah, the film. Yeah, 12 Years a Slave, exactly. So I I've tried, never watched it again. Since. I tried reading the book, though, and the book is fantastic. And I would suggest anyone to read it. But I actually had to stop halfway through because right. it got to a point where I was reading it almost every day on the train. And it just made me actually feel quite depressed. Yeah. I was like, this is too real. This is like, this is a true story. Yeah. And it is horrible. Yeah. Why am I reading this on the way to work and on the way home from work? I just don't want to put myself through this. The film, fine. I've watched it a few times since. It's like, you feel sad for a bit, but it's all over in a couple of hours. The book, that's, that's a lot of pages yeah. to be like, God, we're shit people. Yeah. Humans are bad, bad. I think people. also as well, when you watch the film, you can sort of, you can separate yourself slightly because you can recognise, oh, it's Chiris Halajifor. Oh, it's Brad yeah. Pitt. Brad Pitt's turned up for some reason. Because it's him. Yeah. Um, whereas I mean, if you're reading the, yeah. the, the actual account of the guy... And it's he's so written much more it. detail. Yeah. yeah. Um, but my question is, so you, you come out of those films and you you feel beaten up, but but the director has done the job yeah. that he set out to do and he's achieved the effect, so you, you appreciate it. My question with Swans is, I listen to this album and I feel slightly beaten up at the end of it. Yeah. Um, is that what they were going for? Yeah. Is that... Because if that's what they're going for, if you're supposed to finish listening to the Swans record and go, fuck me, mm, yeah, then, 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 good job, Swans, you've you've achieved what you've set out to do. But if it's not, then I guess I, I do think like Swans as a band, they're definitely meant to be tiring, and I think they know that they're not going to make money off streams. Like, you're not going to keep listening to Swans every day unless you're a Swans mega fan. Yeah. And there's not that many bands like that, but, like, definitely that kind of prog rock, the more dark prog rock scene that Swans fit into, you see them as bands, and a lot of the time they do a lot of other projects as well, and, like it seems like that that is the goal is to make something that completely changes somebody's day mm. or like the listening experience is a momentous moment in a lifetime so in i i would like to think that that is kind of what they were going for mm. because i guess if if they're not going for that then it's hard to see what they're going for yeah you don't release a 2 hour album and it not meant to be quite defying and definite. Like, here's two hours of repetitive music. Yeah, but the cynical part of me, and again, and this is maybe because I've, I've become sort of detached from it, like, three weeks after having listened to it, the part of me goes, well, um, you know, is it them sort of making that bold statement mm. or is it that you just couldn't decide how much music like you know you couldn't you couldn't stop making music and you just put it on a to a record and it, it yeah it's easy to listen to swans and go uh, I, I think it's easy to listen to swans and go this feels self-indulgent yeah. I, I, and I think what you've got to do as a listener and what uh can be a struggle to do but I think ultimately is what you should do is look past that and go well what is the reason for this this is Sorry. a good point in you made me think of it almost more critically as in how, how can I say this like is the album is the album's length what makes it so dramatic could you actually fit this album into 20 minutes and it still makes sense? Or is the fact that it's this long, does it make you think you have to make it make sense? Mm. I know that's a very jumbled sentence, but like, is the fact that it's two hours long and it's very repetitive, does that make you want to find meaning in it? 
Yeah. Is it, and like, is it, does it actually have meaning? Yeah. Is it them? It, I think the thing I, yeah, I'm sort of trying to work out is it, is it, is it they've got the meaning and they're presenting it to you as this complete piece Yeah. of thought out, well-crafted. Because I mean, you can't deny like some of those like individual sort of, uh, I don't really want to call them songs, like pieces. Yeah. Um, are well thought out and, and put together clearly mm. but as a sort of total experience they present you as this one well thought out piece or are they sort of just dumping two hours of music on you for want of a better turn of phrase yeah and you going well they must have some sort of meaning because because at the end, it you wouldn't give just, us a two hour record otherwise it could just be this is a load of songs that they wrote in the two years since their last album and they didn't in, want to cut any of it and in a way it is kind of hard to know whether they actually do all tie together or whether it is the case of here's a load of songs that we've written in the last two years hope you enjoy it well I think I think and, and I mean I think by the, by the I think by the very nature of this podcast we are like playing into that sort of thing of like, you know when you're at school and you would uh, read pieces of literature or you'd read yeah. poetry or, or even Shakespeare at times? Yeah. And your, your teacher would present you with, with all sorts of hidden meanings in the text. Yeah. And you'd sit there going, I'm not sure how much of this the author actually thought of or, and how much of this is, is you taking from it yeah. what you want to take from it. And I, and I guess... There's nothing wrong with that because that's sort of what art is and that's what we are doing by the very nature of us setting up microphones and talking about a different album every episode, trying to find hidden meanings. I and mean, we've probably yeah. done it already with, with, with albums we've already talked about where mm. we've probably found meanings that aren't, were aren't never intended there. to be there, but we yeah. found them somewhere in there. Well, I, you see, I would argue that good art has multiple meanings and a good artist does that effortlessly. Mm. Like, someone like Leonardo da Vinci or Picasso or any of these legendary greats, they've created deeply layered, meaningful pieces of artwork that have multiple layers of information that you can find. But the way that they've made that happen isn't by thinking about each layer, it's by developing themselves into an artist that just knows how to communicate that emotion or that moment in that many layers. In the same way that when you're speaking the English or any language, it's a load of letters. Yeah. But you don't know that you're, when you say bath, you're not thinking there's a B, there's an A, there's a T and there's a H and the T and the H do that. Like, yeah. you don't think that when you say bath. So if you can get your artistic language to a point where you can do one brush stroke and it means a hundred things just because you're that good with a paintbrush, that is what makes you the good artist. Yeah. In the same way because Kurt Weill can do a four chord progression for ten minutes and just the way even though I don't like him that much as a musician I can still admire the fact that the way he does it he does communicate something yeah I think because uh, I think it's something I find frustrating whenever we go to because um, we, we spend a lot of time at, at sort of various small venues around London with at gigs with various yeah. artists on the bill mm-hmm. and there's nothing I hate more than when you see I find it particularly mostly with singer-songwriters but you can get it with bands as well where they will before every song they will explain to you the deep meaning of the song and why they wrote it what yeah. it's about because that immediately turns me off because you've sort of done everything for me then yeah you've, you've gone you've I gone agree. you've gone uh You've basically done the song before you've done the song, if you see what I mean. Yeah. And so the there's point, nothing yeah. for me to discover at that point. Once you've told me what the song is about, 
Um, the point of the song is for me to discover what you're trying to say yeah. or to discover something within myself. If you're telling me what the song is, one, I then can't discover anything for myself because you've told me what it is. Yeah. Like, I might listen to a song and think, oh, this makes me think about that time I was in that relationship when I was 16 and this happened. And in matter of fact, the song's actually about somebody's granddad dying. Yeah. Well, there's, that cla- there's the classic example of... Um uh, e seventeen stay now. Yeah, a lot of people hear that as a as a romantic. Uh, it's like a breakup song. Stay with me forever. Um, but it's about his brother committing suicide. Yeah, yeah. there's a good example on the. Um, I was listening to the Adam Buxton. We re-listened to old Adam Buxton podcast episodes because it's one of those podcasts I just go to. It's sort of like comfort food. It's sort of like yeah, I just you need, know it's good. It's it's easy and and I've listened to all of them, but. Um, I was re-listening to the Brian Eno one and they're talking... I can't remember the song because I'm not particularly familiar with Brian Eno's whole back catalogue, but they're talking about a song and Adam Buxton is describing it as a love song. Mm. And Brian Eno goes, well, um, I never actually wrote it as a love song. I wrote it as a song about a voyeur, about someone who was obsessed with a, a woman yeah. And, and these romantic lines that he'd so these lines that he'd written that, that Adam Buxton considered romantic to be romantic when Brian Eno said it's about a voyeur took on this whole other meaning for him and sort of changed yeah. his perception of the song and I think those moments are really interesting um, so when someone just goes this is a song I wrote about this this and this you've done alright you've done the work for me now I can't well, imagine if, there's nothing um, for me to get out of it that song towards the end of the uh, White Lies album that has that fun little twist at the end. Yeah. Imagine if he just said before playing the song, like, oh, this is a song about blah, 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 but by the way, the last chorus gives you a twist <laughs> yeah. that then changes your outlook. And you're like, what's the point? Yeah. Why? I'm not, I don't want to listen to the song now. Yeah. Actually, something one of my tutors said at, at uni, um, Pete Wareham from... Melt yourself down. He said that, like, the worst thing you can see at a gig is a band scared of creativity. I remember him saying that, and that kind of like changing the way I thought about live performance in myself and others. Like, going to a gig, even in the way that people will arrange a set, just like if people aren't willing to do some weird song choices, yeah. it is so easy. It's something that even someone like Foles will do. Even though I see them as quite a creative indie rock band, sometimes they will just take an easy route. And actually, that's sometimes why bands get boring. There's no creativity. Yeah, I always always quite appreciate it when when you'll go and see a band... I'm struggling to think of one off the top of my head now that I can remember doing it, but... um, it's quite rare nowadays. But there's definitely been there's definitely been times where I've, where you'll go and see a band who are known for sort of bangers. Yeah. And they'll start with a a really slow. So actually, editors. We were talking about editors earlier. Yeah. The what the first time I saw editors, which is probably the best time I ever saw them, um, at Brixton Academy. They're a band known for sort of just their sort of simple banger sort of songs. Yeah. Um, three and a half minute indie bangers yeah the opening song was a really slow quiet Mm. and that took you by surprise yeah it sort of caught you off guard and I really like it when sort of bands do that bands that you expect to be really loud they go really slow for the really slow and quiet for the opening number you go it makes you pay attention even though you think it wouldn't well, I think this is why I'm so excited about the Strokes' new stuff. Yes. They've been quiet for years. And in my opinion, I really liked... Um, I think it's called Come Down Machine. Yeah. The red yeah, album yeah. cover. Like, I really liked that album, and it was quite different for them. But a lot of people didn't seem to rate it that much. But considering they did that, and people didn't rate it that much, that kind of more synthy sound, for them to then come... God, it must be like four years later and drop at the door. Yeah. It's got one guitar, a little bit of bass, and the rest of it is just Julia Casablancas and a synth. Yeah. 
and just go, here you go, here's a new nearly six minute long ballad. Yeah. We're back. And it's like, yes, thank you. <laughs> you. You are not doing what I would expect you to do. I would expect them to come out with their second single first, which was Bad Decisions. Which, which is an old school... Yeah, but it didn't do it as much for me. No. Purely because it... it I think I enjoyed it more than I would have done if they'd have released that as their first single. Yeah, but it just didn't do as much for me because I it it felt like an ordinary straight song. And and on the album, I'm sure I will like the track because I'll be like, it's a good stroke song. Yeah. But... um, but at the door was such a sort of like oh such no, a this is nice different. surprise. And it seemed to come out of nowhere. So I don't know yeah. if they did do any build up for it, and but I didn't see anything for I it. I like the fact that they were then like, all right, here's a new song. Tickets go on sale this Friday for a gig next Friday in London. We're back. And yeah. It's like yes, out of nowhere, something completely different. And then they were like, we're not even going to play the song live because it doesn't work. And it's like. You just do what you want now, Strokes. Did they not even do it live? No, because they said that it's all pretty much made on one synth. Right. And they didn't want to, like, do it via, like, MIDI or anything. Huh. But they also didn't want to do it with the synth, so they're just never going to perform it live. Wow. Which is a bit of a shame. It's a shame, because I'd want to see it live. But I also don't see how that would fit into a Strokes set. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what the album's like, though. Yeah, that song though would only work at either the beginning of a set or in on the encore. Yeah, it's an opener, I think. Yeah. It's an opener. But back to Swans. I mean, the fact that it conjures up all of this for it is an album worth... I think everyone should listen to it once. It is an experience. Yeah, I, I, I think it, regardless of whether I think... Me thinking it's self-indulgent is me sort of... It's, bat- it's like grappling with myself and battling with myself more than the album, I think. Yeah. Um, I, think, uh, I think what I do a lot is... Um, is... I will look at something. It's usually music that I look at in this way. And I think it's maybe because I've only sort of just started making music. And so I, it's probably the art form I'm sort of least confident in, mm. like with my own abilities. Yeah. And I will look at what other artists do and sort of imagine myself releasing that. Mm. And going, because we had the conversation about an album you were playing me just before this. Yeah. And and I said I just don't think I would have the confidence, even if I thought it was good, yeah, to to release it. And and I think when I look at Swans, what I do is I is I listen uh, is I listen to a two hour album, and and I go, could I release that? Could could I yeah release a two hour album? Because I would just think. No one's going to listen it, to it, me for two hours. It's self, yeah, and I would go, it's, it's too self-indulgent to do that. But that's not me saying that they're self-indulgent, if you see what I mean. Yeah, you would feel self-indulgent to do that. Yeah. It's like I've released one song, which is pretty much just noise for nearly six minutes. Yeah. And I was, even though I was just kind of I just threw it out into the world I was still a bit like would I listen to this if somebody else released it and I thought yes I have listened to songs like this and I do like it but there was like it's one of the scariest things I've ever put out because I'm like are people going to look at me weirdly if they listen to this and then see me tomorrow and go George what the hell did you just put on Spotify that is a that is a weird bit of noise you've put out in the world yeah I think there's also a thing of like I I really want to know what it was like what it's like for, for an artist like this is why I'd love to talk to someone uh, like the guys from Swans mm. because I, I really want to know what the, the thought process is like because I played you a track that I'd just written yeah. earlier and I'd not 
played it to anyone else apart from my girlfriend, mm. who is always going to sort of... Yeah, I like that. Yeah. And so... And you sit there and you go... Is this actually going to be any good? Yeah. And there's suddenly sort of a... It's about, you're about to hit play. There's, a, there's suddenly sort of yeah. a nervous moment of... And um, and then you, you sort of... Halfway through, you're like, should I turn this off now? Are they are they bored or do they want to hear to the end? I, you know what I mean? Yeah. You sort of go, well, what point do I turn this off and go, yeah, so that's the thing I'm working on. Mm. Or do you play them the whole thing so they can listen to it and, and get it all? Yeah. Um, and so I'd really, I'd really like to sit down with the guys from Swans and go, so when you've written this two-hour album, do you care? about what other people think in the nicest possible sense of like yeah. do you, are you just confident enough at this point because they've been going for ages right and like are they just confident enough at this point that they can go we've this we, we've listened to this it we like we it this is us and we put it out or you know do they play it to other people and and and, it, and again it's like do you play them the whole two hours do you play them bits do you yeah you know what I mean Actually, that's something that I've never tried doing. And I know a lot of bands do it sometimes where you'll, like, release the album earlier for, like, Patreon subscribers yeah. or whatever. But, like, it would be... If I was to do a two-hour-long album, I would definitely want to do some sort of preview or, like, a few previews leading up to it. Like, you do a film. It's like you do a... This is the initial cut and you get a room, small yeah. room of people... And you get them to review yeah. it, sort of thing. I, I, I would definitely want to, if I was doing an album of that sort of body, just like I would want to do that sort of yeah. thing, because like. But interestingly, like I've been to a, a few of those film like test screenings. Yeah, that's the one test screenings. Um, and and I and I've um, so the one I so the one that sticks out. So my, I won't name the film, um, but my editing tutor was the editor on this film. Mm. So he invited me along to come to this screening, and we we watched the film, and then we sat in their edit suite because oh, there was okay. only like ten or fifteen people. Yeah, he'd got like a few few of their like filmmaker friends. Yeah, and then he invited uh, me along because he was like it'll be interesting to get someone who's completely like fresh to it completely yeah. a couple of other people um, and like a couple of their friends and stuff and it was just like I felt like I couldn't I almost sort of didn't want to give any feedback yeah because I knew what I thought I had thoughts on it but I also sort of didn't want to disturb their process if you see what I mean and I yeah. know that I'm there to give that feedback but I was like I almost feel like you know I I know when I watch something I've done mm. and I'm not there with music yet which is why I find it difficult to play my music to people in front of yeah. people um, but I know if I've done a, a, a piece of film work if, I know just by the act of showing it to someone what doesn't work because I don't need the other person's perspective necessarily most of the time Okay. I just need that person to be there because I see it. Okay, I get what you mean. Do you, like, do you see what I mean? As you're watching it, with them there, you're almost being more... I suddenly become more... scrutinise it yeah, a lot more. I go, oh yeah, that doesn't work now. Yeah, I yeah, I agree. I definitely do that with music. Suddenly I'll be listening to a track and I've been this whole time thinking, yeah, the hi-hats were really nice and I show it to somebody and suddenly I'm like, oh god those hi-hats are far too loud yeah you're, but, and i'll you're, quite often do it where i'll quickly turn it down a little bit yeah like, oh, okay cool that's good your your sort of internal like embarrassment switch just sort yeah. of hits and you go that's not very good and yeah. you can see it and so I, I don't know if if you're like a band like swans do you even want people to look at it you know what i mean do you think you just because sometimes like also sometimes people's feedback isn't helpful yeah yeah I sometimes like for my own solo stuff and I know our mate Jake does it a lot as well where if he's doing a very 
if if he's writing a song or an album or something that has a very clear vision, he keeps it very internal. He won't show it to anyone because he's like, he, he wants to capture that pure thought process. He doesn't want anyone else kind of infecting it yeah. with their ideals. It's like, this is my thing. And I know that I've had songs... I mean, the album that I did for my dissertation was very much, this is me, I'm not going to take on any advice. I like. Obviously, I took a little bit of advice from my tutor because I needed to get yeah, a good yeah, grade. Yeah. But beyond that, it was like, that was more like mixing and... Yeah. But the actual tone of the album, I was like, I don't need people's opinion on this. This is going to be what it is. Yeah. Because imagine if you were Swans, right? And you've, you, you've written to be kind. You've re- written and recorded to be kind. Yeah. It's two hours long. And then you play it to a bunch of people and a load of them go... It's too long. It's too long. What do you do at that point? Do you then go... Because I'm assuming... Right, we've got to cut that then? I'm or? pretty sure all of their songs are recorded live to a certain extent, like, or at least yeah. it's one solid take per instrument. Are you going to just, like, redo that whole song? Like, yeah, or are you going to cut stuff out? or like? Because I, like, it would take away for the album for me if I found out that 30-minute piece. If I found out that that wasn't just one long performance of each musician, I'd be a bit like, that takes away from it a little bit. Mm. I don't know why it just does a little bit or like even like a, a six minute song like if I found out that they'd been going into Pro Tools and moving bits about I, I feel a little bit cheated because mm. it's like this is meant to be like a an epic adventure mm. that you could recreate live and you haven't done it live do you get what I mean? I do get what you mean but then is it okay like it's like when you see like Dunkirk with the one shots it's not a one shot. Do you mean nineteen seventeen? Nineteen seventy five. No, nineteen seventeen. Yes, that one. Yeah, it's not. A, it's not it's a one shot film. But it tricks you into it. And actually, um, having I've I've not seen nineteen seventeen, but I've seen enough of it. Yes. Where man. I there's there's actually some of those one shot shots are not even very long. Yeah. Um, and it's done. Uh, it's done remarkably well to hide it. Mm. I can tell definitely at points where they're cutting. Yeah. But I, I but to the untrained eye, I don't think you you would know. Yeah. But um but yeah, does that when I found that out, it did it it, it did sort of take it take a little bit away from the appeal of it to me. Yeah. Again, I've not seen it, so I could watch it and my perspective change. But it but I wanted to see it on that basis of I knew it wasn't going to be all one shot for the yeah. whole film but I thought you know what they're going to do it in like five or six shots stick together stitched yeah. together which but like Birdman Birdman for me was like yeah I can see about three or four edit points in Birdman yeah. and actually it's done very well of it could there's like very long takes in Birdman and what I like about Birdman as a one shot call it one shot film Mm. is that there's points where you they've almost made you want to think there's a cut but you don't know it almost confuses your brain and especially the way they work around the theatre like it's a maze Mm. and it's still very self contained that's what I like about it but I think the one shot aspect of I mean we're going completely off track here but I think the one shot thing of Birdman, the fact that it's set in a theatre, that whole construct of the one shot inside a theatre, yeah, play it, it. It's such a perfect, um, yeah. The camera is almost like a like I adding think, to the story, like it's a metaphor. Of I the, think the thing. hype behind the one shot of nineteen seventeen actually ruins the one shot of nineteen seventeen. I think actually it was just a very nice little storytelling method through mm. the camera because you're following one person mm. but yeah we, we've gone very off topic now. but um, the, the the point of that was is that you feel like Swans feels like it's recorded sort of in one go or at least every instrument sort of in one yeah. go for each song and it would disappoint you if they'd gone into Pro Tools and moved stuff around and I think for me 
knowing that 1917 actually has quite a few cuts cuts actually. in it does take yeah. away from the appeal slightly to me you know what I want to hear I want to hear Swans record To Be Kind live but in the exact same way that it is on the album mm. but like so that you can know it's live know it's live but also each song by song so it's just one long right. two hour long recording yeah. all the way through because that was the sort of the that was the thing with that Dave Grohl project play yeah um, that was that like the music itself was rather sort of unextraordinary there was some cool there was some cool bits yeah. in there but like I'm not listening to it a lot you see I think the issue with that is that Dave Grohl wrote a 20 20 whatever long minute piece mm. of music rather than going let's write an album so write it produce it and then go alright we've got this album record it all now let's deconstruct it figure out how to play it yeah. how many people do we need get everyone on board and then just record the whole yeah. album one massive audio file but that but that no breaks. but I think what was interesting about the Dave Grohl thing was watching the more interesting thing about the Dave Grohl thing was the video yes with him playing every instrument all the way through and if he yeah. cocked up he would start at the very beginning and do it all yeah. from the top again and that was the most interesting bit and that actually makes me wonder whether I'm I'm this has now made me think that I should do or like at some point I want to try and do something like that mm. even if it is the case of me writing an album releasing it and then a few months or years down the line actually learning how to perform the whole album and re-record it but me performing every single yeah. thing release a video in the same way because like that is just such a cool way to experience an album because then you will actually hear I think you'll get more of an experience of how the performer relates to the music that mm. way because it's not two hours that's probably normal I'm pretty sure swans sometimes do three hour long performances yeah. so it's not like it would be challenging for them I do think maybe I would gel with this album better if I saw it in a live setting. Yeah. Because um, I think what we said earlier in this episode three weeks ago was that it felt to me a bit like a soundtrack to a movie. Yeah. And... Um, I think even just having the visual element of them... Yeah. Like, how often a... do I listen, sit down and listen to movie soundtracks? I mean, I probably do it more than most people yeah, do. same. But um, but but you, it's better yeah. with the movie. That's the whole point of it, though. Yeah, and like, I mean, that's how I feel a little bit with some of the projects that I've like played with in the past. Is that they're actually the recorded versions are just a way of people to be able to fill their cravings in between going to see the project live. Mm. That's I think what Swans is a bit like they're just writing a load of music to perform live and the albums and you look at their website and stuff and the way they try and sell their music is basically zero effort at all it's just like here's an album go buy it if you want mm. not really much press behind it and it, it does feel like it's just them being like look we've just written a load of good music that's going to sound awesome live mm. here it is for you to just digest suckle on for the next yeah. few months until we come to your city and you can come pay to watch it live well I think that's what we've got to do I think we've got to go see Swans live when they're in London I think we should it's a shame because they actually were here at the end of last year oh. and it was only like 30 or 40 in all fair I say this it sold out like instantly yeah. which makes me even more tempted to go although I've been told if you ever go to a Swans gig wear ear protection is oh, is it that loud? the loudest gig you'll ever go to. Wow. But I think on that note... Um, yeah, I think that's... That's we'll leave it there. Um, kind. Yeah, so thank you for joining us once again. If you like what you hear, then subscribe to the podcast or, uh, or on any 
of the podcast platforms that you're listening on. Uh, follow us on our social media handles that are in the description of this very podcast. And join us next time when we will be talking about... What are we talking about? Ah, the war on drugs... Which one is it? Lost in the Dream. Lost in the Dream. George. Which is interesting because I actually... I don't know. We'll talk about this next week, but I'm not sure whether I think this is a better album or the one that they released in 2017. I almost regret that we did this one first. But we're going to do this one first anyway. Okay. And we'll have lots to talk about. But I'm rambling now, so... The War on Drugs. Lost in the Lost in the Dream. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Thank <laughs> you.